1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. Our expert from REMAX Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. Asif, as you know, earlier this week, the provincial government passed the More Homes Built Faster Act. The legislation was known as Bill 23 and included plans to build 1.5 million homes, changes to municipal zoning laws, and eliminate some development fees. Here's Glenn Perkins with the details. The Ontario government says the legislation will help in its efforts to tackle the housing supply crisis. Brampton North MPP Graham McGregor joins us now. Mr McGregor, this is a huge undertaking that the province has set its sights on. Yes, absolutely. I think the housing crisis is one of the biggest issues facing our generation uh, right here. You know, we have millennials that are forced to live in their parents' basement because they can't afford a home. We have new Canadians coming into our country that are priced out of the housing market. And we have seniors that want to downsize and find a livable community, but unable to find the type of housing that would best suit their needs. So it's a generational challenge, but one that our government's happy to take on. It's a crisis that obviously needs to be addressed, and the province is addressing it. But what do you say to those who are accusing the government of selling off valuable protected land at a very low cost to developers to achieve this goal? Well, look, we set a goal out in the last campaign that we were going to build 1.5 million homes over the next 10 years. We made that commitment to Ontarians. They had an opportunity to vote on it. They elected us in with the majority government. Now, the land specifically, uh, I think you're referring to, you know, these parcels of land are going to result in a minimum of 50,000 housing units. Now, in Ontario, we had the highest number of housing starts uh, last year in 2021 in decades, but we're only at 100,000. So kind of the simple math that we've seen it, in order to reach 1.5 million in 10 years, we need to to really up our clip. So uh, we're looking at all opportunities to make sure that we're getting shovels in the ground, we're getting houses built so that that millennial that I referenced to uh, can finally uh, afford to purchase a home and uh, move out of their parents' basement. Mr. McGregor, you just gave the numbers yourself. The plan is to build 1.5 million homes in 10 years. Will that be enough with population growth and immigration? So this number, about 1.5 million over the next 10 years, was actually came to by the Housing Affordability Task Force. So about a year ago, our housing minister put this team together, this task force included uh, leading economic minds from Scotiabank, leading housing researchers from Toronto Metropolitan University and others. Uh, it included the nonprofit sector, so Ian Underwood from Habitat for Humanity was part of this task force. What they came up with was that we needed to uh, build 1.5 million over the next 10 years. Now that's half a million of those houses uh, are for the problem that we're facing today, just to catch up in terms of supply and demand. The remaining million are for the immigration that we're going to see. And we uh, we know that we're going to have large amounts of immigration. And because of our labor shortage, we kind of need it. Uh, you know, new Canadians are a good thing. Diversity is a good thing. But we have to build houses for people to uh, live in when they get here. More homes built faster doesn't necessarily mean more affordable housing. How does it help those who can't even get into the market? 
So in, in a few ways. One, uh, a fair supply and demand market uh, will be good for everyone. We have the lowest amount of houses per capita of any G7 country here in Canada. In Ontario, we have the lowest amount of houses per capita of any province in, in Canada. So to put that in perspective, Canada is in the worst place for supply and demand. And Ontario is the worst province of the worst place. So we, we have our work cut out for ourselves to get a fair market. But I'd also point out one of the biggest criticisms that we're receiving is actually around uh, waiving development charges on affordable and non-profit housing. You know, the average home in the GTA faces $116,900 in development charges before a single shovel hits the ground. So we're waiving development charges on affordable and non-profit. We're reducing development charges for purpose-built rental, including uh, a bigger incentive for family-sized purpose-built rental. And then we're regulating the market for future development charge increases just to make it fair for those home buyers that are, that are going to have to purchase those homes. Well, that leads nicely into my next question. What message do you have for municipal governments and others who think that this is a free pass for developers? Um, so, you know, we, we know that we've heard a bit of pushback from municipalities, certainly in York Region, but I, I'd point out that 116,000 number that I, I, I spoke about, you look at a place like the city of Markham, where for a single or a semi, it's $144,000 in development charges before a shovel hits the ground. For multiples on, on housing, it's 118000 you know, and that's on top of the cost of delay. You know, we, we've seen from industry experts that every month of delay can cost $3,300 for a new housing project. If you mark that out for, say, five years of permitting delays, uh, that can cost uh, up to $200,000 just on delays alone. So we're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars just on municipal charges, and just on permitting approval delays. So clearly something isn't working here. Our government is taking uh, decisive action to uh, make that transformational change that home buyers deserve. Graham McGregor, MPP for Brampton North, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you, Glenn, and uh, thank you for your uh, listeners for indulging me. I'm Glenn Perkins for On The Market from the 105.9 The Region Newsroom. These changes will mean a revenue deficit for municipalities. In fact, Mayor Tom Maracas of Aurora is preparing residents for a tax increase. And to break down the details is the mayor of Aurora himself. Welcome to the show, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for having me. Mayor, tell us a little bit about Bill 23 and what it's going to mean for residents of York Region. Uh, well, ultimately, and... and, and you know, while it's going to mean a lot from a financial standpoint for, uh, you know, residents of York Region, this is not just about York Region. This is going to be residents right across the province in all, all 444 municipalities. Uh, you know, the financial impacts are, are going to be felt uh, far and wide. Uh, you know, just, and I'll give you the example just from the town of Aurora perspective. The town of Aurora, we've just done our due diligence from our finance department, and we've looked at over the next 10 years uh, what the implications are going to be. And we're looking at uh, a revenue loss of $29 million, which uh, would mean that simply we would have to uh, see a tax increase of, uh, of up to 6% just this year to make up that shortfall over the next 10 years. Um, and that's, that's staggering. Uh, when you think about what's going on in, in the world today uh, with inflation, uh, you know, costs from food, to, uh, to anything, um, and to see that type of an increase uh, fall to the residents of our communities uh, is absolutely devastating. Mr. Mayor, I'm going to read back a tweet that you sent out earlier this week. I will be asking Council to consider adding a new line in the 2023 budget 
called Provincial Housing Tax. This will represent the tax increase due to the impacts of Bill 23. I encourage all municipalities to do the same so all residents of Ontario understand why their tax bill is so high. So help us understand what is the connection here? Just because of these changes, it sounds like this legislation is all about building new homes faster. Isn't that a good thing? And how is that impacting uh, current residents and their current tax bills? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, if, if the bill, if the bill is just to build more houses, then it's going to achieve that. They're going to build more houses, and there's absolutely, uh, you know, do we want to see more more housing units uh, come online? I think we all agree that we want to, we want that to happen. Um, but at the same time, when you're when you're building new housing, uh, there's infrastructure costs. There's cost to new amenities. There's cost to new services, and those costs are what development charges are used for. You, we need to create new park park areas for the new residents in our community, and that's what Cash and Loop Parkland is for. And to eliminate that or reduce the amount that each municipality gets for that, well, then that means that money has to be made up somewhere because that infrastructure still needs to be built and it still needs to be maintained and so therefore all you're doing is you're shifting the burden from the developers paying those development charges to the existing taxpayers and they're going to have to pay make up the shortfall and that's that's why at the end of the day regardless of whether it's a good thing to build more we need to do it appropriately and it needs to be done working together all three levels of government and that just hasn't occurred and with immigration opening up and, you know, a lot of these people do focus on York Region because of the schooling, because of the, the lot sizes, the, the better communities as compared to some other areas in Ontario or, or other areas of Canada. Do you feel that this tax burden is going to scare people away from investing in York Region or uh, is there a better solution that we can come up with uh, in, in working with the different levels of government in order to satisfy these uh, fees that would necessarily be due to create that extra parkland or tr create those uh, amenities that we do need? Well, I mean, absolutely. I think that you, what you're hearing from a lot of a lot of the municipalities right now is, is that yeah, there will be that either that tax increase or cut to services uh, or both in, in instances or we need uh, the other two levels of government to provide the, the funding for the shortfall that we're all going to see. I mean, when you look at some of the numbers, I mean, while I mentioned the town of Aurora, 29 million over 10 years, when you look at some of the bigger municipalities, I mean, Mississauga, for example, 885 million over 10 years, that, that number is just staggering. That's going to have to be made up. And so, you know, we are going to need the other two levels of government to work with us to ensure that we're able to continue to provide you know, the great services and amenities that we provide in our communities. I mean, I've, I've said from day one that our job as municipal government is, is to provide uh, you know, the services that our residents need at the best possible price. And unfortunately, with what, what's been proposed and what's been passed with Bill 23 with the reductions of DCs uh, and the elimination of cash to new parkland, um, we're not going to be able to achieve that. You mentioned the mayor of Mississauga. Bonnie Crombie actually suggested that these changes are equal to losing 
20% of the capital budget. But isn't this the usual back and forth between the different levels of government looking for additional funds to help service and, and supply what is needed in their cities and towns? Well, I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with you to a certain extent that there always is a back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this instance, you, you see the amount of, of pushback. You see the amount of comments coming out, not just from your Mississaugas, your Torontos, or even a few of us in New York region. This is right across the board. Um, I, I have not seen something like this where it's been almost every sing, single municipality saying that you need to, you, they should have paused this bill and sat down with us and worked through how do we achieve attainable, affordable housing in our communities. We all know we need to do it. And, I, and I, you know, at the end of the day, I do commend the province for taking bold steps, but it needed to be done in consultation with municipalities. Mr. Mayor, if people want to read more about Bill 23 or the mayor's reactions to it, where can they get a hold of you or find more information? Uh, well, they can always they can always either uh, find me on Twitter at tmoractus, uh, or uh, they can email me uh, once again tmoractus at aurora.ca, um, or they could visit me on Facebook as well. I'm I, I'm on all the social media as pretty much most of the mayors, um, and so that they can reach me anytime at any of those avenues. And I'd be more than happy to. Uh, uh, either sit down with them uh, or, or have a conversation with them, whether it's through email or on phone. Mayor, thank you for your time, and we look forward to uh, a solution for these development charges in order to help uh, increase the affordability across York region. Absolutely, I think we're we all we're all looking forward to being able to provide attainable and affordable housing in our communities. But thank you for having me uh, this evening. Appreciate it. After the break, why some are choosing to move outside Vancouver's city centre. That story is coming up. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties, with today's next guest, Asif. Thank you, Tina, and joining us is Kingsley Ma from Remax Canada, and Kingsley, the executive director. Kingsley, welcome back to On the Market. Thank you. Good to be back. Kingsley, lots of changes in the Pacific Rim. Tell us a little bit about how these changes are going to impact Canadian real estate moving forward. Yeah, there's been a lot of changes the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, COVID's one of them. But uh, even outside of COVID, um, there's been a lot of uncertainties with, you know, different policies going on in other countries. And, you know, um, financially, other countries are a little more unstable compared to the North America, especially in Canada. We're considered as the, you know, very stable country over here. But if you look at other countries like China or um, like Japan and things like that, their economy is very unstable um, in many sense, um, either if it's a political issue or a financial issue. So that has uh, turned a lot of people looking into, you know, either moving, immigrating to Canada or 
looking to you know transfer some of their investments into North America or Canada because um, it, it's you know as as you probably know you know Canada is the you know it's kind of like a I guess stable kind of standard in terms of economy in in the world. So, what specific changes are we talking about, and what is the impact on the real estate market, especially I would assume in Vancouver? Yes. So, if you look at uh, let's start with maybe prices around mm-hmm. major cities around the Pacific Rim. So, for example, even if you look at, I'll start off with uh, you know. Major cities in the, in the North America, so San Francisco or even LA, their price for first footage is actually higher than Vancouver, um, in many sense. But that's not that's only part of the story. What you should, what people should think about, you know, a, a city like Toronto or even Vancouver, you are now a world city. You're not a just a Canadian city. So the world knows exactly who you are. So your comparison should be more of what's happening across the world. So you can look at Tokyo or Hong Kong. In fact, Hong Kong's prices are probably two and a half times of Vancouver. And they house 8 million people in a small city, whereas Vancouver has about 2.6 million people with a much greater landmass. So if you look at other, even Singapore, they have really high in terms of prices. They're all higher than what Vancouver actually um, offers in terms of for square footage. And funny thing is, you know, we can, the Canadian dream is always looking at, you know, buying a detached home and living in there as, as, as a dream. But that's like, that's literally a dream that's not possible for people in those countries or cities because they're so expensive. That's not, like, it doesn't even happen. They, they don't even think about having a detached home. So if you think about it, I'll give you an example. So, because I was born in Hong Kong, so I know more, a little bit more about that market myself. If you have a two bedroom there, say 800 square feet, you're looking at about $2.5 million just to have an apartment there. And with all the uncertainty in the city itself, um, now people are looking at, well, what can I do if I sell my home to $45 million and move to, say, Canada? And yes, the first city, because it's the Pacific Rim, they'll look at, you know, Vancouver as, you know, $2.5 million, I can buy a like a detached home in Burnaby or something like that, right? Or or even a bigger house in Coquitlam. But, you know, that that's what's out there for them. That's what's available for them. So that's why they're looking. And if, as you go east of that, like Calgary or uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, or even Toronto, $2.5 million, you can still get a decent place to live. That's much bigger than the 800-square-feet condo that, you know, they'll, they'll be purchasing or living in, in, in overseas in Asia, for example. So that's what people are, have to understand, right? And you look at uh, Canada now, um, the government's uh, wanting to have no less than 400,000 immigrants coming into Canada. So you, you look at the amount of people coming in, that's a lot of them are from either Europe or Asia or even locally, they just keep moving around. But that's, these are, we need to find, we need to be able to build fast enough to cater to people that are looking in. And part of that challenge is it's, you know, we're not building fast enough. Like, for example, Vancouver, there's about 40,000 people going into Vancouver every year, but we're building less than half of that number. So what happens is it dri- continues to drive the supply. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's the, well, the demand's, like, going increasing, but the supply is not catching up to it. And that's why the house prices will continue to go up when, 
in Vancouver or major cities like Toronto, because that's that's the desired place where people want to move to. And even with those prices increasing, Kingsley, it sounds like Canada is on sale when you're comparing it to prices that are in Hong Kong or in Japan. But how about the foreign buyer tax? And that's being increased from 20% to 25% in some cases. Uh, the foreign buyer ban that's in Canada for the next two years. How does that play into the immigration aspect and people moving from the Pacific Rim to here? Well, that's an interesting one because uh, actually during COVID, there was a less than 1% of foreign buyers. And even pre-COVID, the highest it ever went, I think, was less than 4%. And that's the highest. Usually it hovers around 2 point something percent in terms of foreign buyers. And you look at it, it's really not that much because when people are looking into moving to Canada, they would apply to be citizens, right? So once anybody that gets a permanent residency um, in Canada, they don't, they're not considered as uh, foreign buyers. And that's, you know, it could be a student coming in and applying with a visa, and then afterward they get accepted, or family professionals moving in, they apply to get accepted. So a lot of, you know, it, it, there's a lot of talk in the media in terms of, you know, there's a lot of foreign buyers. But realistically, they, they've already become permanent residents. So... Yes, if, in terms of, you know, banning the foreign buyer, you, you, there will be, a, you know, maybe a 2.2% to 3% um, decrease in terms of buyers. But on the other hand, it's not a significant impact in the real estate market because most of the buyers are permanent residents already in Canada. So what are you suggesting is going to happen next? Because, you know, that struggle about finding affordable housing and having enough housing is happening across the country. It's not exclusive to the Vancouver market. So what does happen next? Where do we go from here? Well, what you see now is the trend of people moving in outside of the, the city area, right? The suburbs where affordability is, is uh, more achievable for, especially for younger families that get it, you know, a bigger house and things like that. So that's one thing. And the other part is density. So density as in if you, if say if you're a working couple, um, maybe even if you have one child and you want to stay in the, in the city, you can, you can still, uh, one bedroom can still house a, a you know, a, a couple with a one child living in it too. And but the city still offers a, a good lifestyle for people. So density helps with decreasing, you know, uh, or helping with affordability, not necessarily degrees, but helping with affordability for people to stay in the city that works in the city and things like that. So, so the two ways, like I said, it's, you know, either people are moving up to suburbs for a bigger size house or, you know, staying in the city and, you know, moving into condos and things like that. But what COVID has done is a lot of people get the opportunity to work from home. So they have made that decision to, you know, move out to the suburbs and kind of um, live there instead because they don't have to commute to work every day. And Kingsley, lots of talk about the uh, Pacific Rim trying to keep their residents in the Pacific Rim by limiting the number of passports that have been issued. So apparently last year or this year, there was only 680,000 passports issued. Is that going to jeopardize people's uh, thoughts of moving to Canada? And how does that uh, play into a role? Um, that itself, I am not too sure. 
Um, I, I really don't have a clear answer for that one. Um, but I mean, you, I mean, as time goes on, it will still continue to be more, um, even though they're limiting so far, but at the end, there's still going to be increase, um, which, which will happen. So, but like I said, I mean, I don't have a definite answer for that question, but, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Awesome. And Kingsley, if people want more information or want to connect with you, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, they can reach me at, uh, at my email address, kingslima at remax.ca. Um, so that email will get directly to me, and I'm more than happy to help. And lots of great information at uh, blog.remax.ca. Kingsley, thanks for joining us, and uh, hope you have a great rest of the uh, week. Thank you. Thanks, Asif. When we come back, your questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market. Time now for our email questions, and we begin with Thomas in Markham. He purchased a home earlier this year without a home inspection, and now there are major issues with the residents. What recourse does he have at this point? Asif. It really depends on what type of issues these are and if there was some disclosure that was necessary during the time of the transaction or not. Uh, so you would, uh, Thomas, what you would want to do is document these deficiencies and contact your lawyer right away. If you didn't get a home inspection and there's issues that arise, there's not much that's covered in the agreement of purchase and sale to protect you in that, but there are certain conditions or certain clauses that can be added about uh, water penetration and ensuring that there was no water damage uh, previously that could cause some major issues and things like that that uh, may have been covered in your agreement of purchase and sales. So the lawyer would be able to take a look at that, take a look at what these deficiencies are, and then uh, if there is a case, they would be able to put that together for you. Our next question comes from Bob in King. He wants to know how condo fees are determined and how does an older building compare? Does it have lower fees? Asif, what do you think about this one? Uh, that's a great question, actually, because there's so many factors that go into determining condo fees. Now, uh, the general rule of thumb is it's the expenses that are required to run the buildings, including maintenance, including upcoming repairs that may have to take place because there's a certain portion of your fees that will go into a reserve fund. And it's divided by the entire square feet, uh, square footage of the building. And depending on how many square feet you have for your unit, you would pay that proportion of those maintenance fees. Uh, are older buildings more? In some cases, yes, but some of those older buildings may include gas or they may include hydro. The newer buildings all have separate meters. So uh, the fees may appear to be lower, but you're also going to be paying your utilities on top of that. So when you're looking at an older building versus a newer building, it's best to look at what's included because some of the older buildings are all inclusive where all of your utilities are included within that maintenance fee and it may end up being a wash. As a reminder, if you have questions for On The Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? Yeah, they can 
call me at 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.